Well, welcome to everybody who is here in person, and welcome to everybody wherever and technically whenever you are joining us um, online uh, or anywhere else that you're finding this. Um, we have been talking about how to live a supernatural Christian life. And today, um, the title that I am giving the message today is The Power That is found in proper priorities. And we're going to see some biblical examples. We're going to look at this. And I think by the end of the day, you're going to see how this, I believe, really fits. And for many of us, it is the key to unlocking some of the power that God wants to unleash in our lives, uh, the supernatural that, that um, is waiting to take place. So, um, one of the things, and we, we've talked about this concept before, and I've used this exact illustrations, but I, but I have to say it again. How many of you play golf? Okay, I am not a golfer. I think I can still count on my fingers the number of times that I have been, if you don't count miniature golf. And uh, when I went, especially when I went out to a driving range, and I watched some of my friends um, hitting the ball, I'm like, I can do that. And I'd grab that, st that stick and I would whack it as hard as I could and it'd bounce, 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 bounce. It'd bounce across the, the grass and, you know, whatever. I don't remember how far it went, 75 yards. It wasn't impressive, we'll just put it that way. And so I would just keep trying to hit it harder and harder and it literally seemed that the harder I hit it, the lesson went, how many of you guys play golf and know what I was doing wrong? <laughs> so someone came and they said to me, it's not about how hard you hit it, it's about how you hit it. And so they showed me, and I don't remember all of it right now because it's been a while, but they showed me what to do. And then when I did it right, it was like, wait a minute, that's what I thought I was going to accomplish when I whacked it really hard, but when I did it right, then it just soared up and out and, you know, looked kind of like what my friend's balls was doing, and I was like, great! Some of us have that kind of approach in our Christian life. We are there, we are just whacking away at it, and we're just trying, oh, I want it to go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get this figured out, I'm going to do it right, I'm going to have an impact. But we need to get back into Scripture and we need to look at what the Bible says about what to do. Luke chapter 17, verse 32 through 33 says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. In other words, Jesus says there are some counterintuitive principles to the gospel. And I shared on that a few weeks back where we, we talked about some of those. But he says, it's not just try harder, try harder, and you will have better results. It's do it right. What was Lot's wife issue? It says, remember her because the person who tries, just tries to keep their life will lose it. But whoever loses Let's go of their life. They will preserve it. I like the way that, Genesis, that, that the message translation describes what happened to Lot's wife because it says this. It says, but Lot's wife from behind him foolishly and longingly 
looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. If you're not familiar with this story, this is when there was a city, Sodom and Gomorrah, extremely, extremely wicked. God prophetically told Abraham he would destroy the city. Abraham convinced him to save it if there was a, at least a few, uh, a certain number of righteous people there. There wasn't that number, but angels went in, found Lot, who was a righteous man in his family, and said, leave with us, let us take you out, but don't look back. Now, as a little kid, I remember hearing that story, and in my mind, like, it was kind of like the movie scenes, you know, where they get in slow motion and the person's, like, walking away from the car that was on fire and then all of a sudden it blows up and, like, they don't even look back because they're just so cool. You know, and it's, like, exploding in the background and then the slow motion and the whole, you know, they're walking away. Like, that's what I think because the Bible says that, you know, sulfur rained down. There was just a... And I don't know if that was the exact moment she looked around, but I remember thinking, man, if I was there, I'd have probably looked because, like, I would want to see fire raining down from heaven. And I had this picture in my mind that, like, a big explosion happened, and she, like, accidentally looked back. Boom! Turned into a pillar of salt. But I, I like what the message, or, uh, excuse me, it's the amplified. It's the amplified version shows us it looks at the connotations within the words, and it says, But Lot's wife from behind him foolishly and longingly looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back, what does it say? Longingly. She wanted what she was leaving. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus is talking to someone, and we're going to go a little bit over the story. Well, let me start with the story. So, someone comes to Jesus and says, what can I do? And Jesus says, well, leave your family and come be my disciple. And he responds, first let me bury my parents. And then Jesus says, Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Harsh. Right? I mean, I can just totally see like the news. Jesus says you have to hate your family to be a Christian. Hashtag face, fake news. But is that what he said? First of all, we need to understand something. He did ask to bury his parents. Now, you and I would not ask to bury our parents unless they were already dead. That's not what he meant. His parents weren't dead. What he was saying was, when my parents die 5, 10, 15, 25 years from now, then I'll come and follow you. Wait, let me stay with my family until they die, until my parents die. Then let me come with you. He was saying, they are my higher priority. You're second. When they're gone, then, then I would come and serve. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. But first let, you know, this other part. And Jesus' response 
wasn't anybody who attends their parents' funeral. Problem. What he was saying is, whoever loves it, and did you catch the word more? More? You know, not only is it there where he says, whoever loves mother, father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more, more than me is not worthy of me. It's not about hating your family. He was not instructing that person to hate his family. He was saying your priorities are wrong. If your parents are a higher priority than me, then no. In fact, John 19, 26 is when Jesus is on the cross. He is literally on the cross, crucified, nails already through his hands and his feet. And it says, when Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. In other words, from the cross, he made sure his mother was taken care of. Jesus didn't have an issue with people being a good son or daughter. It was about the priority. And we get this mindset, like I said, it's, it's fake news. If, 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 if the, the media had been there, you know what they would have done. Headlines. Jesus says man can't attend his parents' funeral. Fine print. They're not dead. They're totally healthy. You know, in the retraction several weeks later. It's about priority. It's not that the family was a bad thing. I, I, I've used this, this illustration before too, but when I was growing up, we had a garden. And I remember being sent by my parents to go down there and weed the garden. And my mom went down there and she made a big deal about showing me what each and every one of the plants looked like. And so, you know, this is what corn looks like, this is what baby watermelons look like, this is what green beans look like, and all this other stuff, those are weeds. So she says, I want you to go down there and weed the garden. Well, I went down there, and in the place where last year we had grown watermelons, this year we had planted green beans. And they were in their nice, neat little row, and I'm down there pulling them up, and I'm pulling up weeds left and right, and I see this little plant that I recognized in the middle of the green beans kind of a big leaf. It was a watermelon vine. But I knew better because watermelons are good plants. So I didn't pull it. Some of you have gardened before so you know where this went. Watermelon has leaves like the size of my face almost. And they create shade over wherever they grow. Green beans need sunshine. So, we did not get very many green beans that year. We had watermelons instead. Now, was there something wrong? Was, was the watermelon plant a bad plant? Was it a weed? No. But it was in the wrong place at the wrong time. As Christians, we need to work on our 
priorities and recognize Jesus says, hey, it's okay to take care of your family. In fact, Jesus was an excellent example, making sure that his mother was taken care of all the way to the cross. But he had his priorities straight. In fact, if we think about it, back in the Garden of Gethsemane, even his own desires he set aside. He literally prayed. You remember this part? Like, we think about Jesus and how he went to the cross for our sins, but he, he actually asked for a pass right before. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, he prayed to his Heavenly Father, and he said, can you take, take this cup from me, but, I would that you would take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. He says, my priority, even over my own desires, I, he could see what was coming up. The Bible says that he sweat drops of blood. The doctors have a, a word for it, and I forget what the, the, it's a hemo something or other, but there is a term for the, when the capillaries near your sweat glands burst from extreme stress. Jesus knew the suffering he was about to endure. Prophetically, he understood what was about to happen. And as a human being, he knew and dreaded that pain. But he put God's will before his own. Side note, how and why? Because of his love for us. It says, God so loved the world for God so loved. Love is what gave him that power to do that. In Genesis 22, we have the story of Abraham. Abraham, who God had a call on his life. We've been talking a lot about the callings. Abraham had been told by God what his future looked like. God said, you will be the father of many nations. Some of us have glimpses of what our future looks like. Some of us, God has put that in our hearts. Abraham was like that. He had a glimpse of what it was going to be. And then he had one kid. You're going to be the father of many nations. One kid. So you can imagine he was pretty spoiled. And then God says, I want you to go to a mountain that I will tell you. I want you to go up there and sacrifice your son. He goes up there. The Bible tells us in another place that by faith he did it. He didn't know how or what God was going to do, but he says, you know what? I'm going to obey. You're going to figure this out. One scripture seems to imply he expected God to raise his son from the dead. Just didn't know how it was going to turn out. The Bible says that he raised the knife and then an angel of the Lord said, stop. The angel, this is verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from a heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, what is it that he did? 
and have not withheld your son, your only son. In other words, because your priorities were in order and your obedience to me was over even that which was most important to you in this life, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. In other words, he goes on back into detail about how much and what God is going to do and how that future is coming. He says, your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. When obedience to God is our top priority, blessing will come. We've talked about it before that obedience releases the supernatural. What did Jesus say? He said, because, because you obeyed, now all this supernatural blessing is going to come on you. The disciples started passing out fishes and loaves. Five fed 5,000. Why? Because they obeyed. Because they obeyed. They, they, they understood that, that their top priority had to be obedience. We've talked about spiritual maturity is not intellectual capacity. Do you remember when we talked about that? What you know does not make you spiritual. What you obey makes you spiritual. Adam and Eve were in perfect communion with God until they forgot to do their homework, got behind on their studies, didn't read enough. No, until they chose to disobey. That's what put a divider between, that's what separated them from God. That's when their spiritual darkness came. When we obey, we release the supernatural. Many of us are afraid. We're literally afraid. How many, I don't need a raise of hands, but how many of you have had the thought, oh no, if I commit to do whatever God says, he's going to send me to Tanzania. Like, I know it's going to be something crazy. And it, if, if I could... If I could create a picture for you, I would say that you are trying to play life like I was trying to play golf. And you're like, I, don't, I, know, I can't do it that way because I don't want it to turn. I don't want to go to Tanzania. Just let me, let me get that ball down the, the fairway my way. And God says, no. And here's the thing. We're so afraid to obey. But what would obedience bring? See, we've decided that somehow we got it in our mind that we can foresee how things will turn out. But here's the thing. When you obey God, that's when the supernatural is released and crazy things happen. First of all, if you are called to Tanzania, 
there. But if you're not, that supernatural power, the, the disciples, they couldn't, hey, Jesus, we're, we're totally out of money. They're coming to collect the taxes and we don't have what's due. Go fishing. Um, that's what I wanted to do before I found out about the taxes, but okay, go over there. Fish, the money for the taxes was in the first fish that they catch his mouth. When you obey, the supernatural is unleashed. And you don't know. You, you can't, it, you cannot foresee what will happen. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. If you sit down and say to yourself, well... I need, therefore I can't tithe. Whack! You're just up there just smacking away at life, just trying to get that ball down the fairway. And God says, no, 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 you don't get it. Being stingy with your finances is not the way to get more finances. And then he says in Malachi, he says, I double dog dare you. Try me in this. Test me. Bring the tithes, the 10%, into the storehouse and see if I don't bless you and open the windows of heaven and rain down that blessing to you. It's God sitting there saying, no, no, that's not like that. Do it right. When you obey, then I'll get behind and I'll launch that ball down the fairway? Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 11.30, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We, we don't think that we can obey because we're, we're imagining a future without God's supernatural involved. Well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like it in Tanzania because I saw a documentary once and that just... I can't, I can't just commit to obey what he said. But what if, what if he asks me to talk to my neighbor? I don't want to talk to my neighbor. I mean, have you seen the crooked stripes he puts in his lawn? No way. Whatever it is, we, we think, oh, it's not. But when you do, when you step out in obedience and then God blesses what you've said. Oh, man, that's fun. Solomon, and I think I forgot to write it down. I think it's in uh, Kings somewhere. It says, at Gibeon, verse 5, and I don't have the chapter written down, so maybe he found it. Yeah, it was. It was 1 Kings 3. Ooh, I was right. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you, should, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued his great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. That's him. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, 
a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? All right, we, we, most of us, if you grew up in Sunday school, heard the story. God grants Solomon a carte blanche, just, hey, anything you want, it's yours. Solomon turns around and says, you have given me the responsibility over these people, the people you chose and you love, and I recognize that I don't know how to handle it, so just give me the wisdom to manage that which you have given me which really belongs to you. What was his priority? His priority was seeing God's asset, the nation he was the ruler of, properly managed. Then look at what the Lord says. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. All of that supernatural came. What? When Solomon had his priorities in proper order. When he responded, putting God's priority first. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. There's a, there's a Chinese saying that says this, If you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, serve others. Now, there are many, many, many secular people who have realized what the Bible was telling us all along. It is more blessed to give than receive. God has said over and over, the greatest among you is the servant. Francis of Assisi says, For it is in giving that we receive. Leo Tolstoy, I'm just quoting some secular people who, who understood the biblical principles, said the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Nobel, priest, Nobel Prize recipient, uh, Mohammed Yunus said, making money is a happiness. Making other people happy is a super happiness. Giving back is as good for you as it is for those you are helping because giving gives you purpose. When you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person. Goldie Hahn. 
And I'm not quoting them because I respect each and every one of them. I'm quoting them because they discovered what the Bible has been telling us as Christians all along. If you're seeking after happiness, you don't find happiness. Just like if I whacked that ball as hard as I possibly could, I didn't get the result. I had to do it right, not harder. And God says that same thing. He said in Exodus 20, verse 3, he said, You shall have no other gods before me. Science, by the way, has confirmed that it's more blessed to give than receive. Scientific research, according to Time magazine, has compelling data to support the evidence that giving is a powerful pathway to personal growth and lasting happiness. Through fMRI technology, we know that giving activates the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by food and sex. Giving. Who knew? God knew. Luke 12, 29 says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be given to you as well. God says it's about priorities. He says put me first, and then everything else comes. We are, we, so many of us are over here, we are just beaten on the wall. We're like, well, okay, when I get my finances in order, when I, when I finally get the nest egg big enough, well, then I'm going to go do this for God. But I'm just going to go over here. No, I can't tithe yet. My nest egg isn't big enough. And we're just over here just whacking away at life. And God says, your priorities are out of order. You're doing this all in your strength. When you put your priorities in the order that I have given you, then my supernatural assistance, my supernatural blessing is there to help you. How many of you have ever traveled on an airplane? Do you remember the, the announcement that comes on? In the event of a loss of cabin pressure, the mask will fall in front of you. If you are traveling with young children, please put your mask on first before assisting your child. Now, most of us, if we weren't one of these parents, know a mama bear or two. If the oxygen was sucked out of the room, what does she want to do? Or he. What he wants, I would gladly give my life for my kids. I, if it's going to be me or them, I pick them. Why do they have to give those instructions? Because they understand that there are so many parents who would stop everything and fight with a two-year-old to get the mask on his face and then move on to the four-year-old and fight with him to get the mask on his face. Meanwhile, 
they would pass out before the four-year-old ever got the mask on. The two-year-old would then yank the mask off and all three of them die. But if the parent follows the instructions, puts the mask on themselves, they're no longer in any danger of passing out. And they can take all the time they need putting the masks on the four-year-old and the two-year-old. And if the, the two-year-old rips it off, she, parent can put it back on. If there was only enough time to get one mask on before people pass out, no problem. The adult already has a mask on. She can put the mask on the passed out kid who will then be revived and totally be fine. It seems counterintuitive, but it's, it's the right way. God says the same thing. He says, no, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after those things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. We, we have that tendency to think to ourselves, but, but they're a good, it's a good thing. I'm totally, I'm stressed out and worried about something good. I'm supposed to provide for my family. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. And God says, no, it's a watermelon plant. Yes, you're supposed to have it, but not there, not then. You put me first. And then when you obey me by putting me first, I will bless you, supernaturally intervene in that situation. Why? Because obedience releases the supernatural. Obedience releases the supernatural. And so many of us are back there trying to see the supernatural line everything up before we choose to obey. All right, God, show me how I have enough with 90% in order to do everything that I ever wanted to do, and then I'll start tithing when I know that I have a total extra 10%. But until then, I'm not going to do anything. Oh, and God's like, no, you don't get it. It's not how it works, but just test me. He says it. He says in Malachi, test me. Try me, obey, put me first and obedience to that which you know that I have called you to do. Try it and then you'll see. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where, there were, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Let's go back and read verse 41, but I want you to insert your name. Are you ready? I'll say my name, you say yours. Joshua, Joshua, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but... Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
It reminds me of the famous quote by Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary in Ecuador. They felt a calling to go reach a group of people that lived out in the, the wilderness. They were famous for their violent behavior, cannibalism, among other things. And he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Today we know the entirety of his story. He went out there. They made contact with those uh, Indians. And they were slaughtered. As a result, his wife was able to go in there to that very same tribe, win the entire tribe to Christ. I met one of the individuals from that tribe in the 90s when I was in uh, Tulsa at Oral Roberts going to school. Uh, Jim Elliott's son was traveling with some of the men, literally some of the men who had killed his father. And he came and they, they spoke at, at a service I was in and I got to, to witness, just see his, his testimony. How powerful is that? That it is not foolish of us to give up what we couldn't keep anyway, to gain what cannot be taken away. Jesus said of Mary, that she had chosen right. She had prioritized Jesus. And that what she was receiving was a blessing that could not be removed. I want to close quickly with the story of in Acts 6. We've been talking about releasing the supernatural in our lives says, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and they will, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry and the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, listen to these names, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What did the apostles pray and lay their hands on them to do? Do you guys remember what it was? Find men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom so that they can wait on tables. Wait on tables. But they obeyed, they did precisely what they were asked to do. They served faithfully, they put God's apparent call first place. They prioritized obedience. Two verses later, that's not two minutes later, it's two whole verses, but in, in the Chronicle it's talking. It says, now Stephen 
a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Wait a minute, that's the waiter. That's the waiter. He, he had hands laid on him so that he could wait tables. The next time we see his name, it says great miraculous signs. I told you we were going to talk about how to live a supernatural Christian life. Some of us want that so bad and we're just whacking away at it. And God says, obey and put me first. What you know is right, do it and obey me. If I have given you tables to wait, do it. If you've got toilets to clean, clean them. Don't fantasize about, nope, I can't take that role. It's not big enough for me. No. First, Stephen, verse 8, says, did great wonders and miraculous signs. Verse 10 says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Still talking about Stephen. This is the waiter. Then another name from the list shows up two chapters later. Another waiter. Let's see what happened to him. Acts 8, 5 through 8, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed Christ there, and then the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did. And they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed by the waiter. What was his path to super evangelist? Serving tables. He was a busboy. But he obeyed. He put that first. He was faithful. The Bible says if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're unfaithful in little, you'll be unfaithful in much. So many of us have gotten in our own way because we're waiting for something big to be faithful with. Well, if I won the lottery, I would tithe. You know, if I get that raise, well, then I could afford to tithe. If, if, you, if, if pastor asks me to share for Bible study or in front of the congregation, boy, I'll come up and do that, but I'm not going to talk to my neighbor. God says, if you're faithful in little, he knows you'll be faithful. He's not going to violate his own principles and promote you to greatness and, and supernatural <clears throat> signs and wonders. When you refused to serve the table? Acts 8, continuing with Philip. And then he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch that he had just uh, been ministering to went down into the water and Philip baptized him and then they came out of the water. Church history tells us that that eunuch that he went to went back to Ethiopia and was responsible for a revival in Africa. But then look at this. It says, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. We're talking like beam me up Scotty stuff right there. God just translated him from one spot to another. Poof, poof. That's the waiter. 
How did that stuff happen? Obedience and putting God first. There is such a power that is released when we put the right things in priority in our life. Revelation 4, 2 verse 4 says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I pray that that not be true of any of us. I pray that we see God's love and we respond in kind. If you're here and you know that you've been forgiven, you know that you're right with God, raise your hand. If you're at home and you know that you're forgiven, fantastic. But if you don't know, if you hope but aren't sure, the Bible says know that you have salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says it this way. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose again, you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be forgiven of the sin that separates you from God. Saved from an eternity separate from him means you're united with him for eternity in heaven. It's not just forgiveness of sin now, or I mean, excuse me, then. It's forgiveness of sin now. It's a walk with God. If that's you and you want to know, let's obey what that scripture says. So if you guys will just repeat with me, and if you mean this sincerely, God says that your sins are forgiven. Say, dear God, thank you for creating me, for giving me purpose. I am sorry for my sin. I accept your forgiveness. The forgiveness Jesus purchased for me when he died and then rose again. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.